five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of the Space Economy Podcast, we're going to get an update on the status of Firefly's launch vehicles and spacecraft, including their NASA commercially sponsored Blue Ghost mission. The presenter is Eric Salwan, the Acting Chief Revenue Officer for Firefly. The presentation is available with the podcast on our website. Listen in. Well, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me here today. Um, I am going to start on slide number two, and I think just listening to the people that are on the call, everybody is probably aware that we're at the beginning of the next phase of the space economy, and there's been various estimates that have been provided, but potentially we're looking at a greater than $2 trillion space economy by the year 2040. Some of this has to do with um, Moore's Law or a corollary of Moore's Law being applied to satellites. They're getting smaller and more capable. Therefore, they are less expensive to make, and they're easier to get in space. We also have many more launch opportunities uh, at a better price than there have been previously. So business cases that perhaps 10 years ago wouldn't have been able to close because of the cost of building the satellites and the cost of getting them to orbit suddenly become more attractive. And we're right now at the very beginning of this. Um, if you look at what the government is trying to do, they want to disaggregate some of these large, fat, juicy targets, as they call them, meaning that rather than having one satellite in uh, a geo-orbit that would look down on one portion of the Earth, you can have a constellation of smaller satellites that will provide a, a similar um, type of capability, <coughs> excuse me, but is less uh, able to be taken out by our adversaries. So we also have, if you, everybody I'm sure is familiar with Starlink, internet from the sky that's being deployed. So now thousands of satellites that can duplicate the um, speed and performance of terrestrial internet can be deployed using space-based satellites. And um, both Starlink is being deployed. OneWeb is deploying a constellation. There are several other constellations that are in the early stage of development and deployment. And there's many other use cases that we're going to see. So all that adds up to a huge space economy that we expect to see unfolding over the next 20 years. Uh, so now I'm at slide three, and what is Firefly? Firefly is a space transportation company. So our mission is to be able to provide services from the surface of the Earth to orbit, do in-space activities, and also to be able to land on planetary bodies, such as the moon. So to do that, initially we have our Alpha launch vehicle, which is a 1,000-kilogram-to-orbit launch vehicle. We're working on our space utility vehicle, which is used for in-space missions. And we have our Blue Ghost lunar lander, which can be used to land on the moon and hopefully in the future other planetary bodies. Um, we actually have contracts 
from NASA for all three of these programs in addition to commercial contracts. We have a NASA launch contract for Alpha. We're working on a phase one SIBR for our SUV. And we have a CLIPS contract for our Blue Ghost Lunar Lander, and we'll talk about all those a little bit. Uh, and now switching to slide four, you get a chance to see what we've been working on at Vandenberg Air Force Base. We have the split two launch site, and we're basically ready to go with our Alpha launch vehicle. Alpha's been in development since uh, 2017. The Flight One launch vehicle at the pad. We've done several wet dress rehearsals and um, a first attempt at a static fire. So from what we're seeing, um, the pad is fully ready to go. The rocket is ready to go. We're waiting on one vendor supply component from the FTS, from the F, from the flight termination system, from the FTS system to achieve qualification. Once we have that, um, we're going to roll into the launch campaign, and hopefully we'll be launching here within the next couple of months. Uh, I'm on slide five, and this slide gives you a feeling for some of the technology that we've developed at Firefly. In Texas, in uh, Briggs, Texas, we have a 200-acre test and manufacturing facility, and we're very highly vertically integrated. Um, you can see on the left, that is a structural test stand, and that's where we're able to apply loads to all of the structures that we're building at Firefly. Firefly is a carbon composite rocket. It's the largest all-carbon composite rocket in the world. Uh, it's about 95 feet tall, and we do all of the layup ourselves at Firefly. Um, the picture of the engines on the test stand, those are four Reaver engines. We have four Reavers on the first stage that generate around 165,000 pounds of thrust total. And the unique thing about these reavers is they use something that's called a tap-off cycle. So typically for a rocket engine, a turbo uh, pump-fed rocket engine, you would have a gas generator that generates the gases to spin the turbo pump. For our reaver and lightning engines, we use a tap-off cycle, which means that we bleed gases off of the main combustion chamber and use those gases to spin the turbo pump. That allows us to eliminate the gas generator. It reduces complexity, reduces cost, increases reliability, and this will be the first orbital mission for a tap-off cycle um, engine. And, I mean, it was an adventure getting it working. You know, you're, you're trying to do something that um, the temperature of gases have to be perfectly right or pretty close when you're putting them into the turbo pump. So you have to figure out where you're going to bleed those gases from the combustion, you have to get them to the turbo pump at the correct temperature and in the correct volume to be able to achieve um, the flow rates that you need. So that's all working and ready to go. Um, we are going to be flying a prototype of our SUV on the first mission, the structures and the propulsion system. And then as we look to the future, we're going to be using something called auto fiber placement, which is a robotics composites manufacturing technique. This was um, – developed by the big aerospace companies, the Boeing. So they spent billions of dollars generating or developing this technology that can be used to create large uh, aerospace-grade structures like the wings of a large plane. So we've now been able to take that same technology and we could use that to create our rockets. So going forward, um, within the next six months or so, we'll have our first AFP machine on site. And once we get that through the qualification stage, that will take us from um, requiring
requiring about two months to build all the structures of an alpha rocket to less than a week to build those same structures. They'll be lighter um, and they'll be less scrap rate. They'll be more reliable, higher quality. So we're really looking forward to that. We also use metallic 3D printing and AI. We use generative design for our structures, uh, for some of the metallic structures, and you can see an example of that in the bottom right. And as, as we're going through this, if anybody has any questions, feel free to just jump in and ask. Actually, um, Eric, 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 this is Dan. Now, let me ask a quick one here. Really interesting, the all-composite um, structure. Can you say something about the advantages of doing it that way? Do you have a weight advantage? Is there a fabrication simplicity advantage? What's, what, what, do you, what do you get out of that? Yeah, so there, there's about a 30% advantage um, strength to weight ratio versus uh, metallics. So we're basically getting a lighter structure that will have the same performance as the metallics. And, and that's a huge advantage for a rocket. Obviously, you're trying to get your mass fraction um, to, to be as low as possible, the, the structures versus the fuel and the payload. Uh, and it took a while because you're using composites with cryogenics, like our liquid oxygen tank is, is uh, the, the first stage of the rocket is about 70 feet, and the LOX tank is about 50 of that, or a little bit less. So that's a very large composite LOX tank. And it took us some experimentation to figure out what are the resins that you need to do? How do you do the bonding for the domes to the barrel? And we have all that worked out now. So that technology, that development that we did is going to translate directly into the AFP process. And the AFP process, because it's much more exact than the human layup process, will be able to probably shave another 20% off of the mass of the structures that we're building. Uh, and we're already, we're already, yeah, that, I mean, we're already at a greater than 99% mass fraction when, you know, um, on a LOX tank, for instance, like, the majority, more than 99% of the um, the mass of the loaded LOX tank is liquid oxygen. Uh, let's see. Sam, I'm, I'm, let I'm, me ask I'm, a question. Yeah, go ahead. What happens on reentry? Will the, this type of structure burn up, or uh, will it survive the atmosphere? Uh, well, I mean, reentry is tough, so... The alpha, the initial alpha, um, will be an expendable launch vehicle. We just don't have the additional performance to do something like a boost back landing. We may try and capture um, the first stages using parachute recovery. The second uh, vehicle that we're going to look at, Beta, which is about 10 times the performance, will be uh, a reusable launch vehicle. And for sure, the first stage will be able to boost back and land and the composites uh, will be able to support that. Now, re-entry from orbit is something, you know, that's something different. They're, they're, I'm not exactly sure how those composites would handle a re-entry from orbit. For instance, a second stage, if you were trying to recover that. But we do, you know... And, Oh, Eric, yep. I just wanted to ask also, the, the main structure of the rocket is composite. Are the tanks actually composite, too? The, the entire, yeah, so wow. we use linerless tanks. 
So basically, the structure of the rocket are the tanks. Okay, and and your carbon, it's a it's a monocoque design, so it's basically everything that you're looking at are tanks, pretty much all the way up. And and you're holding cryogenic propellant, also. You're holding locks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Wow. Yeah, and there were you know there were some uh, unexpected results when they put the tanks together, and you know we started with pretty small um, proof of concept tanks, and it took a while to figure out like okay. You know, you have to bond the domes to the barrel. You basically make a barrel, which is just an open tube, and then you make two domes, and you put the domes on both sides of the barrel, and then you pressurize it with liquid oxygen, and all of the resins and the um, adhesives that you use to join the barrels to the to the domes have to survive those changes, those cryogenic changes in temperature. And it took us a while to figure out what we wanted to do, but now it's it's very successful. So we have the first launch, the first rocket on the pad, and we've actually already taken flight two through ATP for um, the first stage LOX tank and the first stage RP tank, and those are being integrated for flight two. And the, the LOX tank is the biggest structure on the rocket. So if we're looking at slide six, these are just some more pictures of our facilities. Um, you can see in the upper left some Reaver engines testing. Bottom left, that's our launch flight at Slick 2. And then to the right of that, that's the hangar at Slick 2 with um, Flight 1 Alpha. Uh, you can see top center is Stage 2 being tested at our Briggs facility. And then top right, that's our manufacturing facility in Briggs. And then Bottom right, that's a proposed high-volume production facility that would be an exploration park down in Florida. We haven't broken ground on that yet, but we have the land reserve down there. So if we take a look at slide eight, a little information about the Alpha. Um, right now, it's 1,000 kilograms to LEO, and we have some planned upgrades that are going to take that to about 1,300 kilograms to LEO. That's going to fly for the first time this year, and then um, – from Vandenberg, and we have Slick 20 at Cape Canaveral that we're going to be building up, and hopefully by the end of next year, we'll do our first launch from there. Uh, we're going to follow that up with our beta rocket. This is an evolutionary uh, vehicle that can deliver 10,000 kilograms to LEO. Um, most of the technology that we're going to use on beta is going to be directly transferable from Alpha. So all of the tanks will be built using the AFP machine, and we're sizing that machine and um, the facility to be able to build the longer, wider tanks. So a lot of the work that we've done and developed for the alpha tanks are going to be directly transferable to those beta tanks. Engines will be scaled up, and then we have to work on uh, eventual reuse of that first stage with um, propulsive vertical landing. And we're hoping to fly the first time by 2024. So on on slide nine, um, we've de-risked the Alpha program substantially ahead of flight. We've used a test what you fly methodology, which means that as we're building components, we're testing them, and we're testing them in similar circumstances that we expect to see when the vehicle actually flies. 
So part of what we've done is we've built that 200-acre pest and manufacturing facility in Briggs. It's about 30 minutes north of our engineering facility. Um, our engineering and test team are all based in Texas. We're able to very rapidly iterate. So when we build something, we take it out, we test it. If it works, great. If we break it, then we go back, we do our redesign, we try and understand what the failure mergs were, we get back into manufacture, and then we retest. So um, we've done an incredible amount of testing to get to the point where we are now, and we are in the process of building Flight 2 and Flight 3. Uh, if we take a look at Slide 10, you get a feeling for where we are in terms of price. Um, Alpha is $15 million, and our beta vehicle will be about $40 million, and we think that that will get us competitive to a Falcon 9. Now, the Falcon 9 has more than twice the payload capacity of the beta, but there are missions where you would like to get a smaller rocket, where you'd like to get half of that payload capacity for a little bit more than half the price, and you can think about that as potentially constellation deployment, where you might not want to drop off all the satellites in one place. You might want to do multiple launches to populate different planes, and that way you could save some of the propulsive capability of the satellites instead of using them to get to their orbital um, position. You can use them for on-orbit life. I am now on slide 11, and uh, a little bit about Blue Ghost. So, NASA has a program called Commercial Lunar Payload Services, and this really is um, a pretty amazing program that NASA has put together. So everybody understands that in the future, there are going to be commercial applications on um, other planetary bodies, moon, the Mars, asteroids. But it's very difficult to understand what those commercial applications are now and to um, generate the commercial resources to go out and start developing those commercial applications. So what NASA has done is they've worked with scientists, universities, schools, and they've gone out there and they've gotten payloads that have been developed, and then they're working with companies like Firefly to develop lunar landers, and then they'll put out a task order under the CLIPS program where for instance, our first task order has 10 payloads that we will deliver to the surface of the moon for NASA. And as we're doing that, everybody is getting better at building and developing payloads that will go to the moon. We're getting better at developing landers that will go to the moon. And we're basically kickstarting this lunar economy. So um, very much like what we're starting to see in a low Earth orbit economy that realistically wouldn't have existed if NASA first didn't have station and then didn't um, help develop Dragon with SpaceX so that now we have more affordable U.S.-based launch. That gives us a foothold into now having leisure time activities that are in uh, orbit of the Earth. So this is the first step towards actually having commercial activity on the surface of the moon. Our space utility vehicle, um, we have a phase one SIBR to uh, demonstrate the docking capability of that, and there, it can serve various missions. It can be a satellite as a service. It can do in-space transportation, tactically responsive uh, space for the U.S. government, 
and then in-orbit servicing, uh, fueling, deorbiting, um, space debris, etc. Uh, I am now on page 12, and that gives a nice picture of um, SUV design. And as I said, we are going to be flying the first SUV prototype on our first vehicle, uh, the Alpha Launch, that should be occurring in a couple of months. And that will give us heritage on both the structure and on the propulsion system. And then Blue Ghost um, is Eric, really cool. This is, yep. Eric, uh, this is Tim Glover. Um, what can you tell us about the propulsion system? I'm assuming it's a hull thruster, but um, is there, what else can you tell us about it in terms of, like, power or total impulse? Uh, so there's going to be different versions of it, I, and um, I don't have the technical details. I believe the first thruster is a xenon thruster, and it's going to range. And I actually don't want to. I don't want to speak off the cuff and, and give the the power um, right. without knowing it for sure. But we're going to have multiple versions. We're going to start with a lower power version, and then as we get flight heritage, then we're going to move up and, and start increasing the power that's available to it. Okay. Uh, and then our Blue Ghost. So this was a this was a huge win for Firefly. Um, from when we started as Firefly Aerospace, our goal has been to be a space transportation company. And you know we did get some pushback from both um, some of the potential investors in the company who said you guys need to focus on just doing rockets. And we really said, you know, rockets are the key to space. When you have your own launch ability, that gives you the ability to get flight heritage on your other products easily and cheaply relative to other companies that are out there. It also gives you control over your own destiny if you're going to do something like have an SUV or have a lunar lander where you don't have to go to an external uh, company to get your launch capability. So we operated multiple tracks at the same time with the vision to eventually be able to perform end-to-end -end surf end -end services from the surface of the Earth to the surface of the Moon and beyond. And Blue Ghost is our first attempt at doing that. Um, we won a $93.3 million contract from NASA for CLIPS 19B. We're on track. Um, to execute that contract, the launch is expected to be in uh, middle to late 2023, and um, the team is, is working on it. So if you see page 14, you can see the mock-up of um, the design model, and we have completed the kickoff and SRR. We've gotten all of the long leads on orders. Uh, we've started doing some of the demonstrations of the structures fabrication, and we just recently completed, uh, completed our PDR for NASA. So that program is on track. Um, and I am now on page 15, and this lists some of the payloads that are going on the CLIPS 19D mission. So we have some commercial payloads, but you can see a list of the NASA supply payloads that are going on here, and this really gets back to Without NASA providing these CLIPS opportunities, none of these payloads would have the opportunity to go to the moon. And they are making regular awards for future task orders. So I think there's been um, six of these task orders awarded so far, and there's expected to be another one that's going to come out in the next month that people can keep it for. Uh, 
Uh, I'm now on 16, so we are going to have our first Blue Ghost launch is being done by SpaceX on the Falcon 9. Our Alpha launch vehicle does not ha have enough performance to do a Blue Ghost launch, but our Beta launch vehicle is specifically designed in mind to be able to support not only this Blue Ghost, but the future larger version of Blue Ghost. So once we have Beta online, we'll be able to perform our own launches uh, for these lunar missions. Uh, and then just page 17, an overview of the um, Blue Ghost Mission 1. We're going to be landing in the early lunar morning, um, and then we are going to attempt to extend the mission beyond the lunar dusk. So it's going to be difficult to do, but potentially if we can make it through a lunar night, then we'll be able to prove that we have that ability, and for future task missions, um, we can fly experiments that will require being able to survive multiple lunar nights. So that is my presentation. Uh, I'm happy to answer questions and or just have a discussion just on uh, the space economy in general. Eric, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the uh, the update and the status on all on all what that Firefly is doing. Uh, so, are there any questions out there for Eric? No, I got one, um, and I just want to be sure, Eric, uh, on, on Blue Ghost and Firefly is responsible for power and comm, direct earth comm. Is, is that, is that correct? That is, you're not, you're not asking your payload providers to, uh, to do any of that? No, we provide power and comm for the payloads. And we actually have additional, um, power and comm that's available beyond what was required for the 19D payloads. And so we're working with some com some commercial customers on how to utilize that. And we think in the future missions, um, that's going to be uh, a business that we're going to be able to get into. I think initially, like with everything else, people want to see some flight heritage and they want to see some success before they really trust you with these high-dollar um, payloads that they would like to take to the moon. But we are building and scaling the Blue Ghost to be able to provide full services. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to also take uh, an SUV and put that in lunar orbit, and then we'll be able to have orbital comms. Okay, that makes sense. Let's see. And you mentioned you mentioned hops. That's that's pretty exciting. What what kind of capabilities are you going to offer with hops? How many how many hops might you might you pull off? Yeah, so that's still in the planning stage, and I think that will be part. We won't be doing the hops with this first version of Blue Ghost. Um, but we would like to offer the ability to do hops um, on future missions. And I'm not sure exactly what the guys are, are thinking for hops, but it would definitely be at least one. Okay, any other questions for Eric? Yeah, I got one. Are you planning on doing your own mission control, or are you using NASA or some other organization? Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing our own mission control. So we just, as of today, sign the lease for our new spacecraft um, building, and we will be building the mission control in there. It's about five minutes away from our main engineering building. Um, I'm not sure exactly for the CONOPS where the initial mission control will be done from, but all of the landing operations and everything will take place from our mission control in Texas. 
Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel, at The Economy Space, to contact us, or send an email to podcast at spaceq.ca. Help others discover our podcasts by writing a review on whichever platform you use. 